Howdy sports fans and welcome to another episode of Ramble. ready to roll i'm ready to roll where you at where you been where where you been rolling (laughs) (laughs) i'm uh back in columbia about five six k's out of tenho where we were um up in the little (laughs) treehouse you back home yeah i'm uh i'm back in Los Angeles, Los Angeles, as they say. Nice. <laughs> um, and yeah, man, just uh, since Colombo, I've just been hanging out here actually, which that's actually, it's been a minute. Uh, time has kind of flown by since I then. I know. How about we, uh, let's start because I mean, we've been meaning to get on really since then, which was at the end of May. A lot happens. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh yeah, yeah. let's start with that. Let's start with the trip to Colombia. I think that's yeah. what we need to start with. Yeah, the trip to Colombia. Yeah. What was that about? Yeah, we came we came down to uh where did we fly into? We flew into Barranquilla. Yeah. Um which is where like World Bicycle Relief in Colombia has their their like office and like factory where they put all the bikes together. Um, so we flew down to check that out and then like be a part of a few bike handouts down here, um, at like various schools, which was it was an amazing trip. I don't know what you thought, but um, it was like it was pretty incredible, um, to like see the work they do. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. It was just like, I mean, what we were doing that for like three days, I think, but it was flat out. It was like we were up at 4 a.m. every morning and then finishing up. Finished the circle between the the money raised during the alt tour and then kind of see like the, the final, final result of that. Um, but I mean, really, it was just—it was cool to get an idea, like firsthand, of like what what World Bicycle Relief really does, and then like the impact that they have. Um, so that was like the intention behind the trip, and I think it's kind of exactly what happened. Yeah, I like. Did you have any idea beforehand, or did you have? Uh, any kind of image in your head of of like what the you know raising money for war bicycle relief and like buying essentially a, a bunch of bikes a bunch of buffalo bikes for people in you know Africa or Colombia or wherever um, looked like like you know in your yeah um, I'd been I'd worked with like Quebecer through mm-hmm. uh, Dimension Data. Um, which is another foundation based in Africa that does uh, a very similar thing. Um, So, like, I had an idea of what it might look like, um, 
But then I kind of realized once we got here, I had like so many questions, um, like from, you know, like what the process of getting the bikes looks like, what's the cost of the bike, and then, you know, how they go about putting them together, and then like how they identify where the need is, and then after they identify where the need is, identifying like the actual recipients of the bikes. Um, so it's like a, it's a big process, <laughs> you know. It's like it's a very simple idea. Um, which is to like give someone a bike who can use it to, you know, better their life or be empowered by the fact that they have a bike and improve their situation through it. Um, it's like a very simple idea, but then, you know, the, the amount that goes into that, like coordinating like the design of the bicycles and then the shipment of the bicycles and then, yeah, like ultimately getting it to that child or or adult um it's a lot of work and like i was pretty blown away by the job that they do yeah i would agree i think like um the thing that was interesting or i mean one of the things obviously there's like identifying to your point like identifying individuals well, sorry, like identifying region and then from the region you identify schools and then from the schools or other sort of like organizations and then from those schools you identify the individuals. Um, it's kind of mind-blowing and I don't know, I guess it's just because I hadn't ever thought of it like this but, you know, when you think of like, okay, this year we distributed like 40,000 bikes in a country and you're like wow that's a lot that would yeah. make a difference like across the country you know 40,000 bikes like that's an insane number of bikes um, that must be far and wide reaching uh, but then you know when we were in Colombia and like we we're on the ground there and we learned you know I think last year the WBR did about 7,000 bikes in in Colombia it's in there they're in there um, third year, second year. Yeah. So second, third year of existence in Colombia. Um, and that seems like a pretty big number. And then you look at the regions that they've, uh, that they've been to and, there's, and it's not that far and wide reaching, right? Like um, anyway, yeah. so like – There's a lot of people out yeah. there who could benefit from a bike who Right, and like the chances of ever that program – reaching like far beyond like that's decades of work to to kind of spread which is exactly. i mean that's not not a i wouldn't say like i'm not saying this in a negative way necessarily at all um but it was just that was something i noticed like no it's just you know in my mind i was thinking damn like they're going to be having such a huge impact nationwide really quickly and then you realize like not at, not at all like there's there's a huge amount of work like just goes into like a yeah. few communities. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, like, you know, like witnessing on an individual level, like when we we followed the young girl who had to do like a right. four or five K yeah. walk to school every day and we followed her and then like basically got a better understanding of her situation. Um, 
in where her she lived just with her mum, who was like a a farmer, um, and they had like a really beautiful little farm, um, and like I mean they were hugely welcoming. But then, like making that walk to school with her and kind of understanding the the dangers of that, like a young girl who's like nine or ten mm. years old, um, walking by herself to school every day. Um, like there's, there's dangers in that, but then also just like the fact that the walk takes like an hour. Um, so it's like two hours yeah. out of the day, uh, that she loses just walking. And obviously the bike solves that, but then just kind of seeing her receive the bicycle and then like, I don't know, there was something we like I was able to then like ride with this group of six girls had re- received a bike and she was among them and like mm. just the smiles and like immediately like there was this I don't it was like a freedom right which is I think we can all relate to like being a kid the first time you get on a bike um and having that like that freedom and like being empowered to be, you know, able to go where you want on a bike. Um, and like you see that with one person and then you realize like 7,000 bikes in Columbia, like, wow, that's, that's a lot of people, you know, um, who have been, you know, lucky enough to, to receive one of these bikes. And it kind of, I don't know, just brings home the fact that it's like, yeah, they're, they're changing so many lives. Um, and it was like quite humbling, you know, because like the money uh, I was able to raise was essentially just like going on a big bike packing tour, you know, which like um, it's something I like like doing, you know, and then you realize the people doing the the real work, um, you know, they're, they're dedicating their lives to it and it's, it's pretty pretty special to yeah to it really witness. was and I think like it's just so far removed I guess from the way in which we ride a bike um, or would think about riding a bike yeah. like even commuting like that's essentially you know um, a big part for for her the benefit of having the bike at this particular um, young girl like was the commute right and you know a lot of us commute, a lot of us commute by bike. So it's similar in that sense, but it's hard to kind of then really compare beyond that. And I think it was interesting to um, like the the older women who had the, um, the fishing uh, like co-op. Yeah, the fishing co-op. And, you know, and seeing, and seeing them all, riding their bikes and knowing that that, that was uh, how they were able to, you know, essentially expand their operation um, and it allowed them to do a whole... Yeah, they like, like dramatically increased yeah, their exactly, productivity. exactly, like an insane way. Um, but all older women, uh, you know, that were, that were all had all been given that in the last couple of years and that had really, yeah. Um, completely altered. So I think it was cool seeing like the the spectrum. Like you expect children, or you know, young young kids to like be excited about the idea of a new 
a new bike. Um, but to also see like, you know, kind of like an equal level of excitement among uh, a group of women who are in their 50s, I thought was also, that was also really cool. Um, and they're out there riding and having fun and, and, and yeah, chuckling. that's a good point. Um, I think it was also cool to see, well, not cool to see, but I think one thing, at least for me, and maybe I hadn't thought about this either really, but was the idea of, well, actually, no, you and I have spoken about this um, and, and I learned this when, when sort of talking with Kenneth, but the idea of just giving stuff, um, you know, and I know that that's sort of, um, I guess, widely known, but just the idea of just giving, like the bikes aren't just given um, to these to these kids as a contract no. and there's a responsibility um, that they have to uphold and level of maintenance and, you know, spare parts and things that they have to purchase and there's a system for all of that, uh, which is really, um, which is really interesting as well because that system then goes on to essentially employ uh, mechanics, regional mechanics in, in different areas um, who, you know, a lot of the mechanics that the WBR hire in Colombia have never actually had a job before, have never had an official job, have never had social security, you know, um, that type of thing. So that was also another really interesting thing um, which goes back to what Kenneth was talking about or what he kind of like learned, um, you know, uh, in Kenya about building a business or there being like um, surrounding, you know, the bike uh, or the actual bicycle, um, empowering the community in ways to, to essentially create uh, economic um, activity, um, which was cool. Um, and then where do we go? Like let's talk about after that we were lucky enough to go uh, up to – to Bogota, what kind of where you are now? Yeah, I like because we'd spent that time kind of in this area the last trip yeah, exactly. We, came. we spent a big chunk um, in Boyaca, and yeah, and so I was keen to come back here and just do some riding um, before going to Costa Rica for La Ruta. Um, and then I reached out to my teammate, teammate Esteban Chavez. Um, cause he's from this area and kind of was asking him about like where a good area to stay is and like riding, et cetera. And he just straight away was like, Oh, come stay at, he has a, a foundation house, um, in Tenho, which is like maybe 20, 30 Ks outside Bogota. Um, and I was like, sure, sweet. That sounds great. Like kind of takes that, um, stress away. And then. I had no idea what his foundation was about, really. Um, so then we stayed in there. Essentially, he like funds a junior team um, where they take like it's usually like four hundred applicants every year, um, like different cyclists, and then they have like a series of um, tests, I guess, to identify like the the top level of talent and then they take eight or 10 riders each year. And then, um, like they're able to stay here at the, the team house 
and they take them to races and provide them with bikes and coaching and basically just like a development team to help riders get to like the top level or like reach their potential. Um, and alongside that, they also fund like different um, surgeries, orthopedic surgeons, surgeries. Um, here in uh, Bogota, they work with like a, a hospital here. Um, but I guess what what we kind of we stayed in the house with a group of there's five riders there at the time, um, and kind of got to see what the whole thing was about, and it was pretty amazing, you know. Um, like it's in a, a really well thought out like development system, I guess. Um, and yeah, I just spent, what was it? We were there maybe five days just like training in the area, um, and hanging out with the guys and like eating meals together. And it was, uh, it was a really amazing experience. Um, like one, to see what they'd like put together here um, because like I've seen a lot of different development teams, you know, from the States to Europe to Australia and like, I don't know, in my opinion, I'm like these guys have got it really dialed and really nailed it um, with like what are pretty limited resources. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know. It was just like a sweet few days. And then um we got to get out and had uh Diego on the on the <laughs> motorbike for that one day. And you got to jump on the back of that for one day, which was That was very funny. funny. Like we did the it was probably like a hundred and fifty K gravel ride. Um and we spent most of the time waiting for yeah, exactly. the motorbike. Because Diego he was probably what, like Dude. 60 yeah, kilos 60 wet. kilos with his clothes and helmet on <laughs> and, then, and I'm about fucking 85 you were on the back of the motorbike <laughs> I was on the back of the moto <laughs> which had about 2 inches of travel <laughs> and there was so much mud and like <laughs> that was fun you guys had to walk up yeah the, the moto couldn't make it funny. up the hill couldn't make it up <laughs> the hills <laughs> yeah um and then, yeah, like got to spend a bunch of time with uh, Brian Chavez, um, Esteban's younger brother. And, yeah, we just became good mates. Um, and then got to catch up with Julian, who we met the last time we were we were here and made good friends with. So, I don't know. It was just a really nice, warm experience. Um, and like to the point where when I was here, I just booked a flight back straight from Unbound because <laughs> I was like, this is great down here. Um, I want to come back and hang out with the gang a bit more. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a really cool cool foundation. It's called Fun Chavez and um, it's, yeah, they're, they're doing like a lot of, of really cool things. And then, so you prepped there for, we you know, we were there together I mean, yeah, I, I, I really loved it actually. Like I didn't have a bike to ride, um, which was, you know, unfortunate for sure. Um, because I'd forgotten how stunning it was there and, and just how beautiful the, the mountains are. Um, 
But you you were prepping there, and then you went to to La Ruta, which isn't the actual name of the event, but it's one of those events that's so widely known uh, that that just becomes you know it it just becomes La Ruta. Um, I've I have heard, I actually have heard of this event before, but you know I think just in passing, like the hardest race ever, and. I just picture it as the sort of race where, you know, you get a scratch and you get like uh, some sort of blood-borne virus or infection, and like they have to cut your arm off. Like it's that—that's that's what it is in my mind. Like it's not so much the writing that's the thing you need to worry about. It's like some sort of yeah infection that you get from being cut. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because after the first stage, like you're covered in mud and. They have like these power washers at the finish. So I was power washing my bike and then went to power wash my um, shoes. And this thing was running on like, I don't know, <laughs> this most extreme power wash machine I've ever seen. And I like, when I went to wash my shoes, I accidentally like washed against my ankle and just blew this huge chunk of skin off. Um, and it's still like this gnarly. Oh, one God. <laughs> You probably got yeah. There's probably like some it's little f- flesh eating bacteria. There's a hundred percent some flesh eating bacteria. Exactly. In there. It's, it's probably gonna like open up in a few months, and some flies will come out. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it'll give it like it'll 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 close over and then expand, and you'll be like, what the fuck? And then it'll pop, and there'll be like a million little spiders. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd heard about it years ago, and Exactly, like that title of like world's hardest mountain bike race, or um, and so I've always just wanted to do it because it's also like a country I've never been to, and it's like jungle riding, and you go from coast to coast, and there's like huge elevation, and just like all the different challenges you could imagine. It's like super hard on equipment, and then physically, obviously, it's (laughs) super demanding. so, yeah, I'd spoken with the organizer and they were like, yeah, come down. Hadn't been on for two years, I think, because of COVID. Um, and then Housie heard I was coming, so he was like, I'm in. And then we roped Tom Hopper into coming down to help us look after our bikes and just us in general. Um, and the first day, like the starts are all at like 5 a.m., so you have to wake up at like 3.30. Um, but the first day... And why is that? Just because it's so hot? Yeah, and just like they they have like a... It's basically sun up to sundown is the cutoff. Um, oh, right. Which is like 12 hours. because oh, there's just normal like regular Joes doing it. Yeah. Um, and man, the first day is 100K, like 4,000 meters of climbing. And I don't know, there's like, I was like, oh, it doesn't look so bad. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, like it's how hard can 100K really be? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> really? It was like as bad as you say. Because I'm still thinking it about insane. it now. And the thing that I'm thinking is, yeah, he's right. How hard can 100K really be? And, and it's bad. Yeah, it's like, 
the, my body felt worse than when I did like yeah unbound. right and it was only six hours of racing <laughs> so there's just the climbs are like impossibly right. steep like like get off and walk the, steep or the steepest there was like a paved like there was a paved climb <laughs> I nearly had to walk up and I had like a fifty two on the back. It was yeah, right. insane. And then you, there's like these these jungle sections, which are like these kind of jeep tracks with just huge ruts that are like unrideable because it's just mud. So you slip into these ruts and then you're all off and running. Um, and they just raced it. Like they started the first stage and um, there's like some hitters from like a few Colombian guys and then, people from Honduras and then Costa Rica, like they, and they can rip. And we started like a cross country race. It's went flat out up this hill. Um, and I was like, Oh, if they're going this hard, like it must be more like this. Cause at that point we we're on like a, a pretty normal gravel road. Um, and then we hit the jungle and it all just blew to pieces. <laughs> and like, man, like with 30 K to go, my whole body was on like the verge of cramp. Um, and it was just pure like survival to get to the finish. Cause it's so hot, like sticky hot. And then it's just climb after climb after climb. And are they long climbs? Like, or is it short? Like it's kind of like little, no, that's the thing. It's like, there was maybe one or two climbs that were like five K. Um, but then, so that you maybe get like, I don't know, they're pretty steep. So say there's like a thousand meters of elevation in that. And then the rest of the climbs are all maybe like a kilometer or less. Just <laughs> back to just, back, like tons of them. Back to back. And it's like, you're just humping up these things just to get up them. And then you descend and the descent, like there's no fun single track or anything. It's just big rocky roads or like, jungle tracks and then you just hit the next climb. Yeah, right. Um, so <laughs> it was wild. That first stage was like so, so <laughs> rude. Uh, and I ended up in a sprint for uh, third and like I was so worried about this sprint because I was like, you know, and I don't know, I could feel I've never had like uh, cramps in my legs like ever. I've never had a leg cramp. I've had like cramps in my hands and stuff. So I knew what that that kind of tingly feeling is. And I had it all over. I was so oh, worried to like, sprint. You're start I, like, cramping. I think I'm going to start my whole First body. cramp ever. Go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I managed to roll this guy. But yeah, like both calves were just <laughs> cramping. Um, Finally. I'd love to hear that. Then like hung out at the finish waiting for Housie and then Housie came in and like we were just like, what the hell was that? And like, <laughs> it was, we were so messed up. Um, and it's sweet because like all the, the hotels and all that are really nice. Right, that's, that was so, my next like, question. Everything outside of the race is like really, really sweet. Um, but you kind of need it because the race is really hard. Luckily, it's like the first day is by far the hardest. Um, the second day you race up this volcano. So you start 
you climb all the way to 3,000 meters from like maybe 1,000 meters. Damn, yeah, in like one climb? Just like straight out the gun. Yeah, just straight up. Um, and we, we'd like, you finish the stage and then you leave your bikes and they kind of just take them um, to the next stage. And we couldn't find them until maybe like 10 minutes before the start. And oh, then shit. Like, you couldn't find your bikes. So, like, we, do you have the chance to, like, work on them or do no, anything? So, Tom, Tom, like, when he finally tracked them down, he's, like, quickly moving the chains and, like, I mean, they washed them. But um, anyway, that was, like, the extent of it. And then you just start and then straight away into, like, a, like, two and a half or two and a half hour like threshold effort Jesus, <laughs> just like straight up this hill um and it's on all these little like farm tracks and you you actually like end up going down a bunch on the way up um, yeah right which makes it even harder yeah. so you like so it's more than yeah. two thousand meter altitude gain yeah but then you get like a 30k descent to the finish um which is like weirdly um, like eighty percent paved. Oh wow! <laughs> and like, so you just like so road like, mountain bike downhill. Yeah, like descending on a mountain bike on the road is so strange, and you're trying to go fast, but then it's also open roads, and there's like dogs and cows and like jeeps around every corner. <laughs> it's like so Fuck. sketchy, so sketchy. And but you were going all right though. Like you seem like you got third. You just said you got third the first day. How far behind yeah. the winners were you? Just to go back real quick. Uh, the first guy was like, I think ten minutes ahead. He was moving. Whoa. Um, and the, but the next guy was only a couple minutes ahead. Uh, so like the race for the podium was pretty tight. Um, but the second day I felt really good and was like pushing on the climb, but finally couldn't keep up with the guy in the yellow jersey um and he went away with one other guy but then once it got up to altitude i was like coming back at them but um i wasn't gonna like <laughs> send that descent yes yeah. <laughs> it was like not not because of like you just don't know what's around the corner um that's the thing so <laughs> i wound up third again um which like I was actually uh, going there. I was like, okay, if you get top ten in this race, that's like sweet. Um, so I, I was feeling much better than I thought I would, and had a, a great race. In uh, the last day, is like dead flat, <laughs> like flat, flat, and it's like eighty k's on essentially like gravel roads, but they have like. Uh, there's huge holes everywhere. So it's amazing because you're racing along at like 40K now. It's the only day I was like really wishing I was on a hard, uh, full suspension because I raced a hardtail. And weirdly, it was like there's nothing technical in there. It's essentially like a gravel race. Um, the roads are just so rough and we're going so fast that it was so uncomfortable. It was hell. The last the last day was just just sucked. Um, and how long did it take? Like no time at all. Like just over two hours. Um, and there was like nothing to really split it up. So we came into the finish with a group of like 
probably 10 or 15. And then he raced through the town, <laughs> full open traffic <laughs> in the last like three Ks and then jump onto a running track um, for like the last 300 meters and then sprint around the running track. Um, like the wrong That's way around. It's like a so right wacky. Turn. Oh, like it's like as if you're going the wrong way on a velodrome. Yeah. So we were like, I was like, all right, how's you up for the sprint? Like you can take these guys. Um, but like coming into the running track, we were out of position because like just, I don't know. Just it was so sketchy. Traffic. Yeah, exactly. You kind of like, all right, I can go like 80% send here because then like I've got 20% up the sleeve that I can react to like a car or a dog or a person crossing the street. That's um, so fucking like you could, was everyone just going Terry, like just on the oh, sidewalk, so like yeah, between then, cars. It was like an alley yeah, cat. Exactly. Exactly. And then Jesus, like you that shoot sounds, onto this I running mean, it's track. Exciting. Yeah. Sounding. <laughs> <is> very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Housie did like a good sprint, but we just started from like way too way far back. back. There's only so much you can move up on like a running track. You know? Right, because a running track is like pretty tight. Yeah. Uh, when there's when you consider that there's no bank, like you consider a velodrome has a bank. Exactly. So it exactly. helps you make it around the turn. Yeah, That's and funny. like you've got like 20 psi in the tires, so everything's kind of like squishing out. Squishy. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just like. Was anyway, it a synthetic a, running track? Like the you know no the kind no of like, like a, a concrete one. Concrete. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> concrete or like asphalt or like it wasn't. Like a tartan track or whatever they're called. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, how's he rolled third the last day? I ended up third overall, and would hundred percent three day race again. Um, but it's not like it's not a fun race. If that God, makes you. sense. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I've raced a lot of races like that are not fun races. Yeah, but like normally. In a mountain bike race, you get like rewarded with some sweet like single track downhills or, you know, like some flowy sections. There's none of that. Like it's right. It's, it's all a slog. The downhills are like big straight shoot, <laughs> you know, rocky downhills, just on like cheap tracks and like, um, it's just a real challenge. And the amount of people who are out there taking like all day to do it was amazing. Um, because it would be so hard. You know, it's one of those, it's the kind of like conditions because it's so humid and hot, like every extra half an hour you're out there just gets like progressively more and more difficult. Um, so yeah, like I, I think a lot of people do it as like a, I don't know, in the same way you take on like a, an Ironman or like a marathon or something like it's, it's about like fighting against the challenge of it and, and getting it done. Um, so, but yeah, I, I definitely want to do it again. <laughs> oh, you do. Yeah. So you do that. You're like, yeah, I want to go back down there. Why? Cause yeah. You, cause, cause you want to try and win it or so different than like other bike races. Um, and Costa Rica is like beautiful and, all the people there are like amazing and super welcoming. Um, so yeah, it was, 
I, I ran into, did I tell you I saw Hesjedal there, Ryder Hesjedal? No, you did not. That's random. Yeah, he lives down there down now, there. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's living down there. He's got like super long hair, like a massive beard. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. It's like exactly what you think he would be doing. <laughs> you know? and he's just hanging out down there. Exactly. He just lives, he lives down there and like he just turned up at the hotel and he's like, hey, where you at? <laughs> so like we had to be here together and like caught up. But yeah, he's living a totally different life down there. Um, funny. Yeah. That's yeah, so he's, funny. He's doing him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. Good on him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, yeah, that was, that was LaRuda. Um, so we flew then back to uh, Denver all together. Um, uh, but LaRuda wasn't done with us because we had like two days at home and had to like get everything together for Unbound to then drive, drive down. Drive Unbound. Yeah. Um, Were you feeling well, good how, like condition-wise? Yeah, I was feeling great and like, Came out of the travel really well. Um, had like a, a nice couple of days. Um, and then the night before or the day before, we were going to, like I was going to drive with Tom. Tom got COVID. Um, and that kind of threw a big spanner in the works because then I had to get all the like gear together and <laughs> all the stuff that like <laughs> – I'm not very good at um, and throw it in the car and Housie flew to then pick up the RV in Kansas city. Um, and like pull, put a call into, uh, Damo. Did you know Damo? Um, right. So like, I saw that he was there. Yeah. Yeah. Damien Shanks. He, uh, he was like one of my, the first mechanics I ever had on a team. Um, and he's since like left wrenching to go and study law. <laughs> um, and he came out of retirement to help us out, which like saved our ass massively. Um, That's cool. Yeah. So That's I drove, cool over to, drove over to Emporia. Um which is like, I don't know, driving from Boulder, you just leave the mountains behind and basically head out on the plains and flat. not much changes uh, for like seven or eight hours until you get there. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, we were in like this this big fairground where anyone who's camping stays. Um, so there was like a huge, huge atmosphere. <laughs> you know, immediately it was like, oh, wow. Unbound is a big deal now. Um, and it, it was like a cool environment to be in. And there was like a lot of like hype, I guess, before the race. Yeah, totally. Um, which is like something I normally don't like, <laughs> you know, I kind of like it to be like low key and um, just go out there and, and do it. But I don't know. I felt like very prepared um, and had like dialed in everything on the bike and 
like condition wise I felt really good um and like had a really like sound nutrition strategy that I'd been working on um and I don't know I was just excited to get into the event uh but Howsey was had picked up something that like we because I mean after we've been hanging out with Tom you know for the week before yeah so, like, before we you were, got COVID yeah so we'd all done like well we'd each done like four tests before we even went down um and then just continued to test while we were there and like d- neither of us had um COVID but how's he had picked up just something um so he was sick uh which was like unfortunate because I think he was also in a really good spot for the race. Um, but I don't know. We woke up race morning and Housie was kind of like, seemed like 50, 50 on starting. Um, and I was just kind of trying to like, not ignore it, but like just kind of stay focused on what I was doing. Um, and yeah, the race kicked off and the start was like pretty hectic this year. Um, like a lot of, there was nothing to really single it out or break it up. So it was just like this massive bunch rolling down the road. Um, and there's a lot of, like the field was very strong. So it's a lot of people fighting to be up there. Um, and the fact that it had been wet, so there was like muddy sections. I think everyone was just like a bit on edge. Right. Um, and like, was that, did that make, did the conditions make it? I mean, they seemed like they would make it way different. I've only ever been out there yeah. once for the race and it was really dry. So I, yeah, I it was, feel like it being was not dry and would be it, a lot different. It was cool. Um, there was lots of mud. And uh, the course, the course compared to the last one I did, I can't, I'm not like an expert on unbound courses. I just know it goes, like either north or south, and this year we were going south. Right. Um, and it's not like dramatically different, but the roads are a bit smoother. Um, seems like the climbs are like not quite as steep, um, but like I mean, there's still I think an equal amount of climbing. But it was just rolling really fast, um, and I think less people worried about like that back end where normally you get like potentially really dehydrated and come apart. Um, it, it was just kind of like a full on race from the beginning, which was sweet. Cause that's kind of how I wanted it to go. Um, Cause it thins out pretty quick then. And you just kind of let through the small group to race for like quite an extended period towards the end. Uh, but like it'd been like maybe four or five crashes early on. There was a lot of crashes. Uh, but I was just kind of like biding my time and like, oh, feel good and just slowly pick your way up. Um, and because I don't know, just I've learned that like in those longer races, any effort you make early on, you pay for a double, you know, in the last 100 miles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of got like there was a bit of wind that started to get a bit gutted out um, and I just moved up so I wasn't like going to get you know, miss a split or something. And then I just ate shit. I don't know what 
<laughs> I'm not sure exactly <laughs> what happened. <laughs> I just like suddenly my front wheel was like way to the left of me. <laughs> and I was like, it was like way over there. And I was like trying to fight it to go. And then I realized I was going down. I just went down super hard on my right hand side. Um, and like bounced. And then was like, ah, oh, someone's going to hit me. And then like no one had hit me. And then I, the second I was like starting to think about like grabbing my bike and someone hit like ran over my head. Oh. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, <laughs> you know, and like. <laughs> I know the feeling. The head yeah, run over sucks. The head hit. And so I straight away was <laughs> like, oh, you know, I've had concussions before and it sucks. Mm. Um, mm. But I, I also like. Each time that's happened, there's been like pretty distinct feeling of having your bell rung, um, which I kind of stood up and I was like, I don't have that. And then I thought, and I was like, you know, I can get back on here. Like I'll just, I'll, I'll ride for like a bit and just see what's up. Um, and the race was like really on cause it did split. <laughs> it split into like three groups there. Uh, I like put my chain on and got going and then like there was no shifting happening and I was in like the 52, I think it was 18, 16 or something. Um, yeah, so kind of like, like not, not a, a massive bad year. Deal, but yeah, but like, <laughs> but you know, not At that point we were slow. going like 50K an hour. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm just going to chase back on here and like, I don't know, reassess once I get there. And I was spinning out like absurdly. <laughs> I, was, I was doing like 140K and so I must look like an idiot. Jesus. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I started like, I got on and then was like, all right, I need to work out what's um, happened here to like my shifting. So I was like rolling up the levers and trying to like, I put the cables in and out. And I was like, what is it? And then I realized like the, the junction box that, kind of sits in where the bar end is, um, which oh, I've yeah. since, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've since like realized is a really stupid position to put it. Um, <laughs> but it was just gone, like ripped out, like wires just hanging out of there. And I was like, Oh no, like, yeah, I, I know for a fact we don't have a spare Spares one of those. Of those. <laughs> I also know it's not an easy install. Um, yeah, you're not just plugging it in. Yeah, so I just like accepted the fact. I was like, all right, I'm stuck in one gear. But it still kind of had the buzz from the crash. So I was like, I bet I could still roll with these guys <laughs> yeah, know, in one gear. Um, but I couldn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was kind of like laboring on the uphills. I'd have to hit the uphills super hard and then like I'd get really bogged down and start losing position over the top and then it would – over the top, you know, accelerate and then I would just be like hanging for wheels. So I was kind of making it work. Um, and then like right when the the real kind of split was happening, um, there was like this kind of rocky downhill and I was maybe 10 seconds off the back of the group mm-hmm. and I was kind of, I mean, normally I would just nurse it down the hill like because it's rocky and it's a long race and there's no point but I was like all right I kind of have to send it at this moment 
So I sent it down this downhill and as I was getting on at the bottom, I could feel my tire going flat and I was like, all right, probably deserved that. Um, and then plugged it and then ended up in another group. And then when the, like the steeper climbs came, I was walking because <laughs> I couldn't get up there. <laughs> um, but I was like persisting and then uh, got another flat, plugged that, was in another group. And I was still like, oh, it's a long race. I can pick people off. And then uh, blew the plug out of that one. And I was like, I'm, what a, <laughs> this is like, <laughs> things happy. are against, things are against me today. Um, and how long did that, all of that play out? Like, you know, uh, since you crashed, crashed the first time to like, I when you finally crashed, maybe pin. like 35 miles in, 30 miles in. Um, and then I stepped off at the first aid station, which is like 85 miles in. Um, yeah, right. So decent. Stretch. Yeah, decent chunk of time. Um, but not to the point, like, I just felt like I hadn't even raced. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just frustrating. And then, yeah, so I, like, stopped there and then, like, spoke with Damo and it was like, I don't know how we're going to get a junction box or whatever. And my mind was already on like, I'm going to Colombia. I need a bike that works because I'm going from there to race in Africa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, the, t- the clock's already ticking on that. So then I jumped in with them and um, we went to the next feed zone uh, to like service housing. Luckily, I got, we could track down uh, Shimano there. And anyway, Damo worked his magic on you know, years of having connections in the bike industry. And, um, and you got your junction box. Got me a junction box and started to fix it there. And then, yeah, we serviced Alex there. Um, and then, yeah, went back to the campsite and licked my wounds. <laughs> Felt sorry for myself for a little bit. Uh, but then, yeah, I don't know. It was just, we ended up going down to the finish line and, watching a bunch of people finish, which was cool and like soaked in the atmosphere there. And I mean, it's still like a, it's a nice, it's a cool event, you know, like there's a lot of people yeah. finishing, um, racing against the sun and like, it's, it's, it's cool when you see people like achieve their goals like that, you know? Um, and yeah, everyone has like a, a story of something they had to overcome to get there. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's definitely cool to see that. Um, and when I finally got to have a shower, I got there and Keegan had just come in and he, he came second. Um, so, like, I got the full debut for the race and got to kind of understand how it went down. And um, I think that just made me, like, more annoyed that I hadn't been in it. But um, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a sweet event and, like, it's definitely – changed a lot um since i did it even last time um but i don't think it's a negative you know i think like there's more people coming to try and like conquer it um there's definitely more people coming to try and just win it and like if i'm honest with myself it's the first time i've gone into a race with that goal in like a long time 
Um, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is, like, I think that's ultimately why I didn't finish, you know? Yeah. Um, like I could have single speeded it to the end, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Like I could have done that. And like I was like, oh, this is just going to be another one of those things though, like the sandals or the walking in Cape Epic or like, you know? Right, <laughs> like yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want and like – that's I was here to race and it took me like a while to get myself in that headset, like that mindset. Yeah. Um, and like I couldn't click out of it to just be like, oh, just, I'm just going to get around again, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which like in hindsight, I don't know. I sort of, I don't know if I wish I did or not, you know? Um, I just, I just didn't <laughs> in the end. Um, so the next morning I got up and rode 200 Ks to Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just kind of like got the demons out a bit and put everything in perspective and was like, all right, it's still there next year. I'll go back and do it again. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, what are you doing now? Like, are you, are you, you know, what's the next race? Are you sort of like channeling channeling that energy or that excitement towards the next thing or are you sort of like all right i can just yeah i mean let I'm that one go or whatever evolution um evolution and migration so the first one's in kenya it's like a four-day gravel race uh and then the next one's in tanzania which is four days after so it's all one trip um and i'm in Colombia until then uh but yeah i guess going into like those races like um, it's a lot more about for me anyway I mean for sure like the racing is going to be hard and on and like I'm looking forward to that element but I'm looking forward to the experience on a whole um, and like catching up with all the guys from Armani um, and just kind of seeing what it's like to race in that part of Africa um, like the whole experience I think will be really cool so it's a different mindset. Um, but then after that, I come back to do the crusher. <laughs> <laughs> the crusher and the tasha. <laughs> the crusher and the tasha. Um, I, I need that name explained to me. I'm sure there's a really good explanation, but <laughs> the name sounds yeah, so ridiculous. Yeah, so dumb. It's one of those that, you know, when they like you go to a, um, like a, a juice place, and they have yep. like ridiculous names and you're like, yes. you kind of, you know, it's like. You can't say it. Like I can't bring myself to say this yeah, in the order. Banana Boost Blitz or something. And you like, yeah. you kind of like, okay, that's the one I want, but I don't want to say the name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you end up going, like, can I have the banana one? And they're like, which one? <laughs> Finally, you're like shamed into saying it. Like yeah. a banana <laughs> Boost Blitz, please. Yeah. There's a donut shop. <laughs> There's a donut shop, which is actually really good, uh, near where I'm at. And all of the donuts are named like punny names uh, of bands. Like, and they're all kind of jam bands or like in that vein. So it's even worse. And then on top of it, um, it's a vegan donut shop. Right. But it's, like I said, it's actually good. But there's just like all yeah. of these layers of, of, uh, yeah, opportunity sure. <laughs> for it to be super cringy and then and then and the names of the the names of the donuts are the absolute worst 
and you get in there and you're just like, I'll have one of those. And they're like, what? And you're like, Don't make me say it. Don't you dare Don't make me say, say it. it. Yeah. And like, say yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I can't, I can't see what you, what? Exactly. You know, yeah. And you get in there and you're like, how do I, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And then you're like, also you're like, why do I care? right ultimately this is just a reflection on me it's not like yeah because it's called that it's not like you made up the name for it yeah exactly like all you're doing is just saying really offensive right (laughs) you know yeah it's it's just like a stupid pun it's it's fine yeah like you some for some reason think you're beyond (laughs) but you can't a hundred percent. Like that's totally that's, that's exact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I completely feel that. Yeah. So, so anyway, you're doing that. I'm doing <laughs> that. I, I think that's yeah. That's going to be the next like. I don't know. Rematch <laughs> showdown. I think maybe. Yeah, yeah but it hasn't yeah, been. It hasn't gone very well, has it? The first what, for two. me. Yeah. No. No, it hasn't. Um, and I don't know. I've just like this, this year. I've had like uh, just a, a bunch of annoying things happen in races where like I feel like I've been. Well, the only times I've really felt like I've been in a position to win, I've had like mechanical things. Mm-hmm. Um, which like it's like what it's races was that? Like like it was um. On the weekend, at the tr- on the weekend at, at the tracker, my seat snapped, um, or my seat post snapped, and then at um, like at the Girona Mountain Bike Challenge, there was one stage there, and I was just losing like um, I had like a bung shock, <laughs> which oh, like, right. yeah, just like kept losing air each day. Um, yeah, right, and. I mean, it's an, I would never have won that race overall, but I think there was like potential to win a stage. But anyway, Got you. it's just like like slightly frustrating. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, oh, you know, shit happens. <laughs> it doesn't really, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's like, it's not a big deal. Um, but yeah. Yeah, at some point. But, you know, it'd be nicer if it didn't happen. Like, if you had to yeah, choose between deflating exactly. shock and not deflating, you'd choose the, the not yeah. deflating shock. <laughs> Every time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every time. So, you know, that's that's fair. That's, yeah. that's fair. Are you excited for uh, Are you excited for the, the races in Africa? I'm super excited, man. I can't wait. Um, yeah, like... The crew, the crew of people that like I've met who are going to be racing down there, um, like super fun to hang out with. Uh, like I said, it's like a part of the world I've never raced in before or just ridden in or been to. Um, so, like, I think just the the experience on the whole, I'm just very open to experiencing it all. Um, so, yeah, I'm 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 really excited, and like I'm going by myself, which is cool. Um, because I mean, I love to like, like we have a really cool crew that you know we get to go and do all these races together. Mm. Um, but it's also nice to like put yourself 
away from everyone. So like he kind of forced into the situation more um, and he kind of forced to like experience the whole thing as opposed to like sort of do what's comfortable. Um, so yeah, I think the, it's going to be really fun. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of challenges. I've got like 10 tires in my bike box. (laughs) 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 I'm hoping I don't have to use, but I got a feeling I will. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be, it's going to be great. Um, it's also just been nice to be back here in Colombia. Um, like doing this sweet riding here, but then also like, like I said, I'm staying in this like tree house. It's like you have to hike up to at the end of each ride. It's so steep. That's cool. Um, but you yeah, just drag just your like, bike up with you. You just push your yeah, bike. Yeah. Like you have to take your shoes off and it's like a 30% mud track up to the oh, God. tree house. Um, but it's cool because it's just like it's been so uh, hectic this year. Um, right. That like to have a bit of time. Um, like Rachel's in Australia visiting her family, so um, it seemed like a good time. I was like, all right, I might take some time for myself too. So, yeah, to just like, I don't know, just been going riding and then um, I don't really have much internet reception here. So, like, I'm not just like, you know, online. I'm just kind of hanging out. But to make a bit of music yesterday, <laughs> you know, it's just like, nice. it's good. Um, What's your, so, yeah. uh, what's your, tell me about this. Like, a lot of people hit us up because obviously the music in this show is your music, stuff that you've made. Yeah. Um, I like, tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about this, like, how is, do you have a process? Like, I mean, I've seen you do it, I know how you do it. Yeah. Um, but for our listeners, like, how do you do it? And like, uh, what's the process? Yeah. I don't know. I started using, garage band like years ago um Mm -hmm. when it was really basic and it was like a mainly i would like make music when i was away at races um because it was like a really nice little disconnect um and like i've never taken it seriously or whatever it's just something i like to have for myself um but yeah, I just make uh, most of the music is just off GarageBand, and I just play around with the sounds. And then <laughs> I don't know, like the way I make it is, I just record. I record into like the live loops part, so I can record like really long, extended, um, like tracks for each instrument that I can like, you know, like manipulate over like a long long period of time <laughs> um and then i just record off that uh yeah right and then you use those loops yeah those live exactly. loops to then construct like a song and a song structure and all of that exactly so then you're essentially like recording it live using different loops that you've made um right but most of the things i wouldn't say they're loops like i guess the drums are normally loops but then a lot of the other stuff is just like you know, like 150 bars. <laughs> so it's just over the yeah, song, it's right. like one, one so it's loop. Just, um, yeah, it's one instrument. It's one track. 
so yeah. You, so you essentially record all the tracks individually, and then you are mixing them. So uh, yeah, exactly together. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then I, I like to like um, sample like um, just like sounds or yeah, sounds like from uh, wherever I am making the song, and then like either using that on like the sampler or even just like the the voice record part and then like mixing that into the thing. But basically I don't really have like a process. It's really strange. Like sometimes I like sit down to be like, Oh, I'm going to like make some music and then I just lose interest after like three minutes. Um, or sometimes, like yesterday, I just sat here for like probably four hours and just made two songs, um, just because you're like, oh yeah, this is all like happening for me. <laughs> no, yeah, like, yeah. I want to see this like, like finished now, um, and it's a really nice like, I don't know, it's a nice way to spend a few hours, um, because like. Oh yeah, I find it just a good way that I'm like focused on doing one thing and like nothing else. Um, and I'm, yeah, that's like a a good practice. I think <laughs> even like it's hard it's hard to do now. With so many things happening. I'm always like yeah, my brain's going like a million miles an hour. Um, but when I do that, it doesn't. So yeah, that's like the intent behind it it's never really like been intended for people to hear Um, yeah right but i don't know i've always shared music with you i guess i share music with um with taylor uh because he also makes quite a bit of music um but yeah the next monster is to learn like uh ableton right (laughs) which i I have yeah but it's just like I don't know. At the moment, I'm like, so, um, what's the right word? I don't know. I'm very efficient, adept <laughs> with, with with using GarageBand and I know how to like make the sounds I want with it. Um, mm. And I remember I having jump to learn. straight into it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember having to learn uh, like uh, Final Cut Pro 7. This is oh, a long man. time ago now. Like initial editing program that I learned how to cut in and then yeah. having to bite the bullet and go, all right, I need to switch now to Premiere. Well, I did Avid and then a pre- and then Premiere. But like that process of like learning those two was hard because you the thing that the thing that's the the mind fuck is that you're like, I wanna do a lot of the times you can do most of the stuff, but there'll be really simple things that are just like way counterintuitive to the way that you've learned. Right. And it'll be a simple thing. Like so for example, like in editing, like the cut tool, like you yeah. know, you, you, the cut tool works in this way and and it'll be so far different from that. And you're like, what? Like I can't even figure out how to edit, like create an edit point, you know, cut <laughs> yeah, a clip right. in half and you, it just makes you go insane. Um and and then there's this frustration that comes from that where you're like, oh god, but I have to learn this. <laughs> but eventually yeah. you do, you do, and then yeah. and then you're like, oh man, it's so much better. Right, but it's about um, like 
just allocating the time, right? But it's like time. It needs, like, it needs time. I'm going to do this. Particularly um, if you're anything like me, when you learn where you learn by, by doing, you know, yeah. you need like a project there that you're invested in the outcome of. So you're like, all yeah. right, I'm going to learn and, I, and I'm going to learn by doing this project. And so that's how, it, you know, you kind of go through and, uh, and do it as opposed to sort of sitting down and, and like reading the theory on it first. Yeah. I sort of do two, the two things at the same time. I'll like read and do. Anyway, um, but yeah, Ableton, that seems to be the industry <laughs> standard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Rachel got it for me for my birthday, my 30th birthday. Um, and like I was so excited when I could finally like put, like just even make sounds. <laughs> like yeah, right. How to make sounds. Put together this like <laughs> just hideous loop. And I was so excited about it, <laughs> playing it loud. Rachel was just laughing. So I think she's got a video somewhere to try and get her to find it, but it was just horrible sounding. Uh, like, but it's funny how, like, you don't, figured it out. you don't prioritize, like, like, I haven't prioritized time because I'm like, oh, it's, it's just like a leisure activity, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's also like you should prioritize those things, but you just don't. Oh, man. You know? Like you're like, I, I should learn this just for myself, right? Like there's no purpose to me learning this. It's not going to like improve my career or like, you know, it's just yeah, like. but it'll improve so your quality. Like, yeah, exactly. Improve your quality of life. But like right. you just, it's so hard to like. Justify make it. Make time for those things. It really um, is. It really is, and like to your point, that's important. I feel like I'm do, I'm yeah. doing I'm going through the same thing at the moment, where I'm like, do you know what? There's other things that I think I like to do that aren't my work. Yeah, and I'm just like going to do those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Because <laughs> like, you have to. Yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of get to a point where you're like, all right, like the outcome of this thing that I'm doing for my career no longer outweighs the immediate need for like fun from this other thing. And that happens at some point, right? And you're like, all right, okay, now I'm going to go and do the thing that I enjoy or like make time to do the thing that I enjoy because... Yeah. yeah well, otherwise, you're just not? delaying it. Right? And then, and, it's like- and then you're just old. Yeah, you get old and then you're like, well, I need a hobby. So, you just start playing golf or something. Right. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know why. I just felt like this is the thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I, forgot, yeah. I forgot about the things that I really like. <laughs> so, now I'm playing golf. Exactly. That's all the, old, like, all the old retired dudes who play golf. They forgot how to have fun. And they're doing I mean, this thing like, they think is fun and it's just not. They, they, they don't even realize that they're not actually having fun. Right. Right. They're like, oh, yeah, this is, I mean, I guess this is fun. I'm sure there's a bunch of people out there who just have it as legitimate passion. No, um, there's nobody out there. Nobody likes <laughs> no golf. One out there. <laughs> no one likes yeah, golf. Because I can't understand it. It's impossible. Yeah, because I don't like it. <laughs> exactly. Then they definitely don't. But like, it's the only thing. Like, there are other things out there that I don't like that I'm sure people could get into. But golf is one thing that I'm assured that no one actually is having fun doing it. Yeah. I think it just frustrates me because it takes up so much space, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. 
Like there's a golf yeah. course everywhere. And I guess I don't understand it enough when people are like, oh, it's a cool course. And you're like, what does that mean? Does that mean it's just more challenging to hit in? Because if that's the case, like, you could just play golf in the bush. You could just play golf in the bush. In the bush. <laughs> yeah. like exactly. A, like a, like a, a par 60. <laughs> you know? <laughs> a par 60. <laughs> exactly. That probably but illustrates then I think, my lack I think, of understanding. <laughs> no, but then the thing about about golf is like I think, I mean, I'm assuming, I know fuck all about golf too, but I'm assuming that like you need to be able to hit the ball. So it's like how can you make the course challenging but like playable? Right. So if you were to play like a past 60 in the bush and you just hit the ball in, let's just pretend that you would be able to find it in the first place. Like you just instantly find it. But it's like yeah. under a stick or something. Or yeah. it's like it's in like grass that's really like – it's like a – you know, like that, <laughs> yeah, scissor, right. that scissor glass, the grass that's like long and cuts you. It's like you wouldn't be able to play the ball. So <laughs> yeah. I think that's it. It's like, all right, they need to mow the lawn. <laughs> there, but like that's, I think like, that's what makes a good course. Is there like off-road golf? <laughs> you know, like if you think of like that road would be sick. and then – Mountain biking, There's gravel you have golf. A totally separate set of clubs. And it has this like, it's like a bushwhacker <laughs> as well. You know, yeah. Like. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be sick, actually. You use like a little bit Actually, ball. that would be sick. Like, it's in, it's in the bush, but then you're allowed to take like, you know, a basic level of uh, like landscaping gear with you. <laughs> so you can take yeah. like a, a like not a not a not a like a not a chainsaw, but you can take like a little hat, like a little saw. Yeah, and like you've got to whip a snipper. It's funny because it's like even though that would be incredibly destructive to the environment, it's just be so, have so much less of an impact than just a regular golf course. Well, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? like if you were you just to go like, rogue, they're like have, have hundreds of thousands of people just. Hacking around in the bush, and it would still be better, better for the environment than just yeah. I remember cleared. I remember like at school, like high school or primary yeah. school, and learning that the biggest cause of deforestation was golf courses. And I was like, "What? Like, I can't believe hang on that. a second. Like they're clearing uh, a football field of fucking forest in the Amazon every second or whatever it is." Right, and and you're like, hang on, golf courses are like on par with that. But then, like everywhere in the world, there's just a, like everywhere you are, there's a golf course. Yeah, and there's <laughs> no. an asshole on that golf course not having a good time. <laughs> and you're like, what? Like that's the thing that's crazy, right? If you think about that, you're like, hang on. Hang on a second. Just getting frustrated. There's, there's just someone like on all of these golf courses, there's someone on there just hitting the ball and it's going along the ground. And then they're like, I don't I don't understand like how people enjoy this, but I guess I just have to do it. And they're just sad <laughs> and they just they're alone and they walk along and they're like, I guess I just have to do this now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there's something to get, you know. I just haven't got. Oh, it. for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's very skilled. Like you watch Tiger Woods. Yeah, or any of them. I'm you sure know, there's a lot of people who just golfer. have a lot of fun. But then the people I feel like are having the most fun are the people who go out there and just like go treat ham. it like a bar that moves around. <laughs> you know, they got like well, the that's golf it. And like, like then you're like, well, do you need just to go to the bar? Like, yeah, yeah. But it's kind of like, but think about it. Like, 
you know, like bowling, tempin bowling, like was more fun when That's you drink true. beers or like, yeah, okay, bocce, bocce, you know? yeah, a lot of fun when you the sand, the game with this with the beanbag that you throw through the hole, yeah, uh, sober that game sucks, cornhole, <laughs> is it cornhole? Shit game, so sober, great game, drunk. Right, so there's a lot like of games that, like that. I feel like, yeah, it's like, that's you know, true. you just need just that like thing to do. Yeah, right. And I think golf is like the. I think golf is like the ultimate of that. Where it's like <laughs> yeah. there's enough skill, which there is an insane amount of skill. It's to Huge amount of skill. Yeah. Right. So it's like fully 100. percent No one's questioning it. It's a sport, but like yeah. it doesn't have to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it, know, can also, it can also be a bar that just moves around. That's true. I guess that's the same with bikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except you can fall ass overhead if you drink true. too much on your bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's there can be consequences. Yeah, that's true. It's also illegal, I do feel I like, but like you think about like there's that running race where it's like the beer mile or maybe the name's yeah. more than that, but you run and you got to chug a beer like every mile and you have to run like five miles. Or something. That's, that's insane to be mild. Yeah, and you skull a beer, and then and the time they run it in is really fast too. Yeah, there's like people like, who are legit. That's like a legit time. Like you'd be a legit runner if you weren't drinking like four beers in that process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Be fast. <laughs> and and you're like, I could ever who's dream good of enough? At the, yeah, who's good enough at the sport that's dedicated enough time but still drinks like that amount? Yeah, that record. Do you think there's like an official? Like there's a beer mile in running. Do you think there's an equivalent in golf? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good question. I'm well, sure there I is. Remember like – so remember with the Australian cricket team, this is switching sports here but bear with me. They There was like a, within the team, there was like a, a record for the number of schooners drunk on the like oh, Sydney yeah. – like on the trip from Australia to, to London, the UK. I'm presuming for the Ashes or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm it was held by that. Merv Hughes or whatever. It was like <laughs> yeah, that's right. some obscene number of beers that he drank. Isn't um, it insane though? It's like like that behavior was just absolutely celebrated. Legendary. Like, like everyone's like, yeah, what a legend. He's representing cool. our nation. <laughs> yeah. When you break <laughs> it down, it's like, like this guy's going there to compete. And like yeah. – it, and he's, he's just, wearing like the Australian flag on his shoulder. He's been yeah. public, like he's got photographers and journals and everyone's all around him and they're just like, yes. And he's just getting absolutely wasted on a plane. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, like, completely blackout. Yeah, exactly. On taxpayer dollars. <laughs> on ta- probably, exactly. So, so th- yeah, there is definitely an equivalent in golf. Um, for sure like the number of beers drank but the thing about golf is it takes ages yeah yeah if you play 18 holes of golf I've actually have mind you I mean it doesn't I was gonna say yeah it definitely doesn't take like (laughs) 30 hours though the same as a flight (laughs) the first thing that popped in my head I was like 18 holes of golf I was like an hour hole (laughs) (laughs) 18 hours it's an ultra it's an ultra endurance sport that's how long it would take me to play 18 Holes of golf, I think. Oh, yeah. Actually, now that I think about it. It would take I mean, me doing... so long. Yeah, I've only played like once or twice. 
They must not. I feel like it must be like a four or five hour thing, right? Yeah, probably. So you yeah. could knock back a few scoons in that. I'm sure, I'm sure people do. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, with all of this chat about golf, mm-hmm. uh, I've run out of other things to talk about. <laughs> um, let's talk about your the the GoFundMe for oh the yeah new film. yeah. So we are uh, yeah we're in the middle of the Kickstarter. Well, first week actually of the Kickstarter. Feels like we've yeah. been doing it for about six months, but it's only been <laughs> uh, seven days. Um, yeah, so it's the we're we're doing the Kickstarter for uh, I Am Here is the name of the film, and you and I have yeah. touched on it a little bit. Um, I think in the first one of these that we did, but yeah, it's just a um, it's our first. It's like a combination of scripted narrative and uh, what do you call it? Documentary. Yeah. Which is cool, and we need uh, we need to finish it off, and so we're essentially essentially crowdsourcing um, by selling selling the film, selling screenings to the film, and and book books and a few other bits and pieces that you can get kind of merchy stuff. Uh, and we're selling those uh, as a way to kind of get get the film finished. Made, yeah, yeah, That's sweet. I really, I really want to see the film. I would want to see it. Finished. So do I. I mean, I want to. Yeah, it's been it's been um, a process, uh, but it's yeah. you know, but whatever. It takes time. These things take time. Um, yeah, and yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I'm really. Like we still have the kind of scripted part to shoot. Um, yeah, in Mexico, is, right? Yeah, which is kind of that is the that is the essentially the story takes place uh, over a two week period in Mexico. Yeah, um, that's kind of like the current time, and then it and then it flashes back to the past, back to uh, an expedition in Iceland, and so. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have that to go and shoot. And that's, like I said, that's fully scripted, you know, using um, an amalgamation of two experiences that I had in Mexico City uh, as well as like other experiences that I had. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be cool. It's going to be fun. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it will be fun eventually <laughs> once we get it done. <laughs> Stressful at the moment for you. I mean, yeah, it's not too bad. You know, it is what it is. Like you just kind of, you know, marching on and, and you, there is a consistency and you've got a, I guess like the, you know, I feel like any creative, I mean, you would feel this where you do like, there is always, uh, you know, you're like, I just want to do the thing that I'm, I feel that I'm good at, you know whenever you do anything like for you, it might be like, I just, I wish I just only had to race my bike and I didn't have to do all these interviews and I didn't have to like do this other part of it. And, and that's true. You know, that that's valid. That's a valid point and a valid position, but like the reality is, is far different to that. And so, you know, very much for me, it's like, I wish I could just make the thing and, and I wish I could just write the thing and I wish all that. and, And I wish the only people that I had to speak to were, you know, basically like the production team 
uh, and and that was it. But that's not that's not it. You have to do more um, if you want to get the thing made in the way that you want it to be made. And so there's been a lot of that, you know, six months of or more of or eight months of of kind of going through this process of figuring out the best way to to launch this thing. And a lot of that's marketing. A lot of that's you know, creating hype. Um, and so anyway, so it's been a lot of that, which is whatever. It is what it is, you know, like it needs, I've yeah. accepted that it needs to be done. Yeah, you just want to make the film ultimately. But yeah, but I, but I recognize that, that there's a process that that's part of it. And, and so, you know, you just got to do it. Um, and, and it's always changing. And I mean, you, you know, you learn a lot as with any sure. new endeavor. Um, and we're learning a lot as we go, which is, you know, good ultimately. But I, sometimes there's lessons that I wish I just had already learned, didn't need to learn now. <laughs> I wish I just hadn't got it wrong, but that's cool. Um, so yeah, so we're just we're just uh, we're just doing that uh, for the next three weeks, uh, right. and hopefully, hopefully we get it funded, um, which would be cool. And then and then we'll take off. Uh, down to Mexico, I'd say, in uh, September and shoot, um, you know, so it's not a huge amount of, uh, a huge number of days left to shoot, but there's quite a bit of sort of that process to do. So we'll go down there for a couple of weeks and then shoot it out and then hopefully have have a finished film, you know, come the end of the year uh, in time for the, for the festival circuit and in time to release it. So that'd be sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Like, yeah, you know, you never know with these things. I mean, they always turn out good. Yeah. I mean, to a degree, right? Like, yeah. I just hope it's really good. Like, fucking yeah. really good, you know? You want it to yeah, be... Yeah, you just you want it to be able to create what you got in your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And, like, we definitely have, like I said, you know, we have a, a, an outstanding team of creative people. Yeah. Uh, involved so you know it's going to be good um, to some degree um, but like I said you just want it to be to be really damn good um, so yeah you know that's uh, it's cool it's cool to be doing it yeah man it's exciting it's really exciting um, so yeah that's uh, that's that that's kind of the main thing that's been happening happening with us uh, or with me um, yeah. for the last couple of weeks just organizing the the Kickstarter and uh, and a few things like that, which has been, you know, I mean, it's it's actually not too bad to be honest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it just is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Nice one, man. Well, always a pleasure to chat. Um, yeah. How much? How many more days are you in Colombe? Colombe. Uh, I'm here until the fifteenth. So yeah, I'm not sure what day it is. <laughs> it's the eighth. Uh, it's the eighth. Yeah, another yeah. week or so. Just going to be cool. Um, catch up with Julian on Friday, um, and then just yeah, riding with Brian most days. So should be a good little, good little stretch. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, um, I did want to touch on. Uh, obviously, I'm sure anyone who's in the cycling community um, is aware of um, 
Moe's death. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, which like I don't want to go. Um, I don't want to go into the story. I don't want to like. It's obviously like devastating. Um, but I did want to mention it. Um, and the fact that it's a huge, huge loss. Um, like a needless loss. Uh, yeah. For the, I mean, the cycling, not even the cycling community, just, you know, it's just a big loss. Um, so, yeah, obviously, the thoughts uh, with her family and uh, her friends and everyone close to her, pretty, it's still one of those things that's, um, you thought you would have got your head around, but you still can't. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I did want to um, mention that. No, yeah, ab- absolutely. I think it's, you know, affected all of us pretty majorly, like the the entire community, I think. Um, and, you know, just hoping that that everyone can heal from it and that, you know, everyone can be better and, at, you know, be the best versions of themselves and be reminded to be that and, and, you know, go forward, I guess. Um, but that's all easier said than done. Right. Um, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, just a huge tragedy. It is. And just, uh, I mean, it's like, there's so much needless gun violence in the States. Oh my God. Ridiculous. It's one of those things that it's like, it's such a great, place to live and there's so many wonderful things about living in the States, but there's this one overriding negative, which is access to weapons and like the, the aftermath right. of those, those things, um, which like we've just only seen more of since her passing. Um, yeah. And I think like, I mean, I don't know how you feel about, about this, but like, you know, the gun violence, like the reality of that situation still is like there is still a, a bit of a disconnect in my in my mind like it's still a level of unfathomable, unfathomable like you know the incident that happened in in Boulder um you know only like a year ago it feels like forever uh a little over a year ago now and and that being you know like a few blocks from home like being locked in in your house um and yeah, I mean, you you were on your way there. <laughs> right, exactly right. And like, but, you know, like as an Australian, that's so unfathomable or grow, someone growing up in Australia, right? And then, you know, and then I don't know, like it's, I guess the idea that it can happen like and does happen to, yeah. to I don't know. I'd always everybody. Like- as you said, like I've been, obviously it's impossible to not be aware of gun violence in the States, but it's always seemed somehow removed. Right. Um, and then, yeah, these things happen and it's like... It just keeps edging closer and closer. That's crazy. Like, mm. uh, I mean, Mo was over for dinner with Al like maybe three nights before she was killed. Um, right. And you just like, it's such a... It's one of those things you think is almost impossible to happen to yourself or someone you know, or like. And then mm. when you look at the statistics, you're like, it's not. <laughs> um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, it's so, it's, it's now this ridiculously like overcomplicated issue, which when you look at it like simply, you're like, what, how, how can this be something that takes place every week in a country that's like supposedly the, the greatest in the world? And you can't, people can't get together and be like, all right. We need to stop kids dying in schools where they're going to get educated, you know. Like, right, like let's at least start with that. It's, it's like you know, so hard At the hard very to least, like, right? Especially like, I don't know, like you, in Australia we had like uh, Port Arthur. Port Arthur Massacre. Um, which I think. In 96. Yeah. And at that time it was, I think it was the biggest. In the world. Uh, right? Yeah. It's like 35 or 37 or something people. Right. And the government did like a buyback of all guns. Yeah, got the guns and, straight away. Um, Like that was that. Like there was never – the thought of being a victim of gun violence like growing up in Australia was zero. Um, yeah. And I mean it just seems like it's so far like – I just, it, like, it's so disheartening when you look into it to be like, why is this a complicated issue? Yeah. You know? Like, when it's so, it's such a basic human issue that, like, mm-hmm. why is this politicized? Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's a tough one. It, like, yeah. Yeah. It it'd is. be I mean, hard. Like, I, it'd be hard, like, and I mean, we're amazingly lucky in that, like, we could move to another country. We could go back to Australia, right? Like that's yeah, yep. that is and, an option. Yeah, and it's like to have that option is like amazingly privileged, right? Yeah, but it's a it is an option. And the thought of like, if I was to have a kid, like, to put them at that risk, like, just bringing them up in the States. Like, right. That's like a real consideration now. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I've like a hundred percent had that thought. Yeah. Like, where it's oh, like, this, would I be able to do it? Like I'd never seen myself leaving this country necessarily, but all of a no. sudden you're like, well, what's the responsible thing to do? Like, I want to have a kid, but like, there's no way I could, Feel. Yeah, and I don't know. It's just strange to even consider that, and that's right. like something I've thought about more and more. Um, mm. Which, like, yeah, I, I'm not like <laughs> I don't know the answers, and like, you know, oh yeah, the issue is obviously way more complicated than that. But it just it seems ridiculous that it is to me. Um, yeah, I, guess I that's mean, my two cents. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, there's no doubting that it's ridiculous. Um, but to your point about knowing where it should go, I've, I mean, how to solve the problem, like <laughs> there's a lot a lot smarter yeah. people out there who are having no luck with that. Um, yeah, yeah. But it is, I mean, it is, it is interesting, like uh, an emblematic of, not emblematic, but like interesting of like the outcome of, you know, the experiment that is like America. Um, right. This is kind of like where it's, how it's manifesting. Um, anyway, I don't, I don't know 
what's going to happen. I mean, each time something like this does happen, it feels like, oh, maybe this is it. But like I, I mean, when the Uvalde thing happened, learning that, that Sandy Hook was in 2012, like it seems so much fresher than that. that yeah. That Sandy Hook was like 10 years ago. Coming up exactly. on ten years ago, or whatever. It, it, I thought the it was only like four or five. Happened. Yeah, and nothing's and like I remember when that happened, and being like, "Oh, now it's got to like change," you know. Right. Uh, and nope. Um, but it is devastating. It is devastating. I think, like as a community, um, to have a victim of that, um, you know, of someone. Uh, for victim to that who is really prominent and who's touched so many lives within that community um, is really, I mean, you know, again, as an Australian, like someone who hasn't grown up here, like around that, that's really like eye-opening and kind right. of confront and confronting because, you know, you have a real genuine like connection to that person. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just it all seems avoidable. Um yeah. Anyway, that's that. Yep. Yep. It's the world we live in. Uh, but anyway, you uh, you stay safe. You enjoy your riding. Uh, in, yeah. You in the mountains. Track down a few rapers. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Those good ones that we had that you got that were in the bag. Oh, yeah. They were the best ones. Yeah. They're, I think. I don't the, know where you got the, them from, though. I know exactly where I got them from. Um, <laughs> I'm going there tomorrow because uh, the you know that climb there. Um, it's maybe like 20 k's away from here. I can't think of the name. Yeah. But anyway, the Volta Colombia finishes up there. I think tomorrow. Oh, sick! Um, <laughs> I want to go watch the finish. Oh yeah, that's a um, great idea. Yeah. Actually, Damn. did you? That's cool. Did you see uh, the video of that guy who won the stage like two days ago or three days ago? And um, no. He crossed the, it was like torrential rain and this insane last few caves where they're going through these huge puddles. It was like a sprint and he, he like rolled the guy at the last minute and posted up and then immediately hit his, his wife was standing. That's oh not, my God. No laugh. way. I shouldn't laugh, but it's just like, like the series of events, like he wins, wins this stage. He's obviously elated and then yeah. immediately crashes into like, someone and then that someone is his wife and i mean they were both oh fine my god in the end. but it was just like like what is the emotion you know what i mean like, what is what is going on at this finish that like she could be standing so close to the finish so line, cl- like, like and then he like, managed he managed to survive also, like all of the puddles how, like, and how all did of she the- know he was going to win was she always standing there at the finish line like there's, I have so many questions about that. Um, oh, dude, you should but, start asking. You should look for some answers. <laughs> you get to the bottom of it. <laughs> you need to get Maybe to the I bottom of it. Maybe I can track him down at the finish tomorrow. Um, yeah, there's a podcast in that. There's a whole entire <laughs> yeah, series. There's a, there's a movie in it. <laughs> yeah, there is a movie in that. I'm telling you. I'm, exactly. And I mean that because I've got, you know, I know, I would know. <laughs> well, actually, you could just, you could switch tact because the title still works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am here. <laughs> Go around right here. me. Yeah. I am here. <laughs> yeah, here. I am here. Thirty meters Colin, the finish line. Don't hit me. <laughs> and that could rain. be the that that could be that could be the whole marketing campaign. Would be like, I am here. Thirty meters after the 
um, the finish line, like, I am here, don't hit me. Yeah, exactly. I am here, your wife. Yeah, and it becomes like a like a, a launch pad for a movement of awareness of the like people who risk their life and limb standing behind the finish line. Exactly. And like and, and the story and the story like takes place over like thirty years and like that's the catalyst, <laughs> right? And then it's like they start awareness and then it like it forms like a union and then like the union becomes corrupt and they get involved like down <laughs> with the wharves. And like you know, yeah, like the moving contraband. Like, yeah, and I'm then, here. Everyone's like standing two meters after the finish line, just a wall, <laughs> of, <laughs> wall of people. Yes, I am here. I am here. <laughs> exactly. And then like the big American pro goes down to like well to the Columbia to like revive his career, and he falls <laughs> victim to the I am here movement. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, great. that's dude, that's actually. I mean, I'm liking what I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, don't want to push it on you, but it feels strong. <laughs> All right, it does feel strong. It feels good. I'm going with my gut on this one. Cool, man. Well, that'd be yeah, that'd be cool. Go check it out. Yeah. Well, the Columbia. Well, thanks for the chat, man. Always a pleasure. That was good. Um, great to yeah, man, until until next time. Until next time. This week's episode was produced by Lachlan and myself, executive produced by Isaac Carson and Abby Levine, mixed by Ben Cranell, music by Lockie. If you haven't already and you love what you hear, please get behind us and become a member. You can do so on our website, our Instagram, or at the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Take it easy. Thank you.